Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. Praise be to God. So as we begin to look at uh, the book of Matthew, particularly we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, but I'd like to go back to Matthew chapter 5 just a little bit because Jesus is trying to help his people to understand what his desire for our lives are. It's so important for us to do it God's way. Certainly all of us have a moments in our lives where we feel like we know how to do it. We were laughing, uh, I guess, even just last Saturday um, as we got ready to put some shelves together as we were doing a clean house back there in the garage and in other parts of the sanctuary. And again, I'd like to personally thank each and every one of you who came out. It was really a blessing to have you here, and it allowed us to do some really thorough house cleaning. And um, so thank you for coming out. But as we were getting ready to put the shelves up, uh, it just reminded me of something that I would have a tendency to do at home, start to try to put something up and not read the instruction. And you kind of know how that goes, don't you? And there's the same thing I feel like with our Christian walk. I, I sometimes believe that there are sometimes we are trying to walk this out as Christians without ever getting the instructions on how to walk it out. And sometimes we're making a real mess of it, and, 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 and we're challenging people. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, nobody said you weren't. But you might be a Christian that is still kind of carnal. You might be a Christian that is actually still failing. Do you remember when the scripture says, my people perish? Now, he didn't say that you weren't his people. You notice what he said? You're my people, but you're also what? Perishing. And the reason that you're perishing, he said, is because what? You like knowledge. How, 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 how great would it be to go to school but never open a book? How many of you think that you would have passed? Well, in the school systems, you might have passed. They might have just passed you along, but you didn't learn anything. Years ago, there was a, a football player here that played for the uh, professional football team for Washington. And his name was Dexter Manley. And I know some of you who can remember back, Dexter Manley came out publicly and said, and it was confirmed, he could only read at a fourth grade level. So Dexter Manley had went to school, high school, four years of college, and no, everybody just looked at him based on his talent. Dexter was always a big boy in school, big boy in high school, big boy in college, and he played football very well. Dexter would go on from professional football to professional prison, to drug addictions, lots of different things. And he would finally have to come to a place of truth. And, and, and this is what the scripture tries to get you and I to do, come to a place of truth, to know God. And when one knows God, there's just really no hesitation about making God known. The hesitation that I find with people of making God known is because what? They're generally telling me they know God, 
But in the true sense, if you just sit and talk for a moment, they don't. It doesn't say that they aren't Christian, but you don't know God. This is why I go back to something that John Maxwell would say, and I would kind of debate with it. I would play it over in my head and say, you know, it's cute, but is it true? And John Maxwell would say this. He says, people who, there are people who love God. They're going to heaven, but they don't have a clue. Is he just trying to be cute? There are people who, and then all of a sudden I'm reading the scripture one day, and I'm in the book of Corinthians, and the book of Corinthians says there are people who are still carnal. They're still carnal. Paul goes on to say there are people who ought to be on the meat of God's word, but they're still on milk. I want you to look at your neighbor for just a moment. And I want you to imagine them with a big bottle in their mouth. <laughs> a baby bottle. Now, I know I've just kind of just messed you up right now by giving you that image. You are this adult sitting by somebody and you are now, you got to, and they got to put a bottle in your mouth because you have matured. And, and, and that's what Paul was trying to paint that kind of picture to say, look, we need to mature. And one of the areas of maturation comes in learning how to have an active devotional life with God, an active prayer life with God. In chapter 5, you know that Jesus starts out with the, the best sermon that has ever been preached and will ever be preached. He talk, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount where he begins to go through the Beatitudes, and he begins to tell you to understand what, it, what from heaven's perspective is blessed. See, a lot of times from our own perspective, our blessings is always attached to some type of resource. But from God's perspective, you know what, needs, what, what, what is blessed? Just look at it. Read, read the Sermon on the Mount sometime. I, I don't have time to preach on it this morning, but if you'll just read the Sermon on the Mount, starting with chapter 5, verse 1, you will find that what God, what heavens considers to be blessed. It might change your whole attitude about how you approach your Christian walk when you understand what heaven sees as blessed rather than what the world or what we say are blessed. And Verses, and that, that's chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When you get down to verse 13, and it takes us down to verse 16, Jesus is talking to believers about being salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, he begins to tell us. And you realize this. Once salt is mixed with anything, you don't just, you mix salt with anything, and you begin to describe it as being what? Salty. Salty, salt will just begin to just change the whole palette of what things are. And God uses this to help us to say, you can make a difference in the world. How many of you are registered voters? I, I pray that none of you will just sit at home and not vote. I know some of you probably already have exercised your right to vote as early voting, but I think it's just, and I'm going to use this word, I think it's asinine to not vote and then say it doesn't matter, my vote doesn't matter. It does matter. 
When God speaks about the government shall be upon a shoulder, he's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about, I can use you to help put even righteous people. Well, I don't see any righteous. I'm going to tell you, God, if you'll just ask God, God can help you to see somebody who is most apt to turn in the direction that he needs them to turn. But if you sit back and do nothing, I kind of equate that to the lepers who one time were seeing the battle and the war and all of the rhetoric going on and, and the city being destroyed. And they were sitting at the gates and they made a decision. We can't just sit here and do nothing. So I would say to you, if you have not yet voted, don't just decide that you're not going to do anything. Go out and cast a ballot. It would behoove you to Google and find out what the referendums are, who the candidates are, so that you can be prayerful about, well, who shall I mark or who shall, what button shall I, 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 I depress so that I can ensure that I am voting for a candidate that I believe that the Lord has shown me is most apt to do his will. That you're not just looking at referendums and saying, any, meeny, miny, more, I'll pick this one. Because you're going to get referendums that they're going to talk about borrowing and, 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 and excessive amount, millions of dollars. And you ought to know what that referendum is. You know, like next week, I really want to tell you what the so-called 2018 tax law has done for you as Christians. Because it's going to affect you. It's going to affect how you file your income tax. Before you would say, I can get 100%. You won't anymore. That's all because of, and this is why I've been having, and I don't mind telling you, and I'm going to get into my message. I'm just kind of spouting off now. I don't mind telling you, I'm having a problem with my colleagues who have really been talking about, you know, you know, uh, the so-called man of God that we have. Folks, a lot is affecting you, and for us to sit back and not be aware and involved is a form of ignorance. And you know what the Scripture says, my brethren, I would not have you be what? Ignorant. Just being led astray. Just being with somebody with a ring in your nose pulling you anyway because you have a lack of knowledge. And this is why when you know things are happening, God is trying to get us. And you heard Ursula make a passionate plea. Folks, we're going to have to pray like never before. You're going to have to stand in the gap in many of these areas so that the hedge can be made up. You can't just say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. What are you doing? What are your works? By this shall men know that you are my disciples. One, you have a great love for God, and you have a great love for God's people. You have a great love for making sure that this gospel goes as far and as fast as possible into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so Jesus begins in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. He comes and he lets the believers know, you are the change makers, you are the salt, you are the light of this earth. He goes on in verses 17 through verse 20, and he kind of shares with us that Christ and the law and helping people to understand that he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. 
But he came to fulfill things. Christ has come to fulfill things in all of our lives. And then in verse 21, it picks up and we kind of see the anger of God. He talks about the judgment. He talks about trying to bring a gift to the altar, but not really having altered your heart. And that an alteration have to take place. And this is why I am very, and some people might say I'm dogmatic or strict about it, but I just don't believe that anybody and everybody just step up onto the pulpit. This is the altar of the Lord. I don't believe that you just bring anything and everything before the altar of the Lord. I believe that anything and everything has kind of invaded the body of Christ now. You know, I, I was sharing, uh, and I've shared in some circles where I had friends who said, you know, they stopped going to church, and, and, and I'm not advocating anybody ever stop going to church, but they were in a church, and they said, I'm all fogged out, Pastor. And I said, what do you mean you're all fogged out? Well, every Sunday morning when they came, they thought everything had to be fog. You know, they'd get all of the, 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 the black ice or, 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 or what do you call it? Not black ice, uh, dry ice. And they put it in the fog machine, and they come in, and the lights are reeled and low, and fog is all over the place. And you know what? After a while, they realize, I'm not hearing the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. All I'm getting is a professional format of a show. So, folks, we're not to come out and say, hello, here's Johnny. <laughs> come out and, 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 and let's... Focus our minds on, if we're going to make it, we're going to have to know Jesus. Come on, let's tell your neighbor, if you're going to make it, you're going to have to know Jesus. You're going to have to know him personally for yourself. You're going to have to have a personal, intimate, eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your mama is not going to be able to get you into heaven. Your daddy is not going to be able to get you into heaven. Your brother, your sister is not going to be able to get you into heaven. It's going to be where you have made up your mind that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can't add your two cents to it. And that's a lot of what I believe is happening in the body of Christ. It's too many of his two cents, her two cents, her three cents, and you know what? We're just coming up short of a dollar every time. We're coming up short of what God requires. And so Jesus goes on and kind of shares with him, you know, this is some of the areas that you're missing it in. And he gets over into this one key area. You know, in verses 25 through 26, he talks about Christian relationships. In verse 27, all the way down to verse 30, he talks about a teaching on adultery. On verse 31 through 32, he talks about remarriage. And in verse 33, he begins to help us to see the significance of words and takes us all the way down into verse 37 about the significance of words. And then he realized that we would have problems with people every now and then, but he's tried to help us in verse 38 through verse 42 and says, don't be retaliatory. Retaliation, being vengeful, being hurtful is not going to be the way that God will get it done. 
And he takes us right over into what I call the law of love. Verse 43 down to 48. Then when we get over to chapter 6, where I've asked you to turn this morning, he starts to talk about giving. You've heard uh, some exhortations from Sydney this morning, some exhortations from Sister Pat this morning about giving. And God begins to teach, Jesus begins to teach on giving. And he says, but make sure you understand the motive of your heart when you're giving. Don't give so that you can be seen. Don't give so that you can be heard or known to be this big giver. We kind of get this impression by reading some other books that I've been reading lately about Ananias and Sapphira. Because, I mean, it looked like it was a harsh thing that happened to Ananias and Sapphira, don't you? Wouldn't you agree? Can you imagine somebody coming up into the church today? And I stand and look at them and I said, you know, uh, 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 what is it that God has told you to give? And you, you lie to me and tell me, oh, well, he just told me to give this today. And then I tell you, I know you're lying. And you have lied to the Holy Ghost. You just happened to lie to me, but you lied to the Holy Ghost. And you know what happened to Ananias? Boom, dead. And then here comes his wife. And you know it was uh, something that they had already collaborated on. They'd already talked about because she came in with the same exact same story. And you know what happened? She got the same exact results. But I was reading this book, and, and this book was talking about the reason that they were having this seemingly problem lying about what they were giving is because at one point in time, they were the largest givers in the church. And there had come another person who was giving a lot more than they were giving. And so, therefore, they have decided, you know what, we've got to keep up the facade that we're the big-time givers. And I've watched a lot, over 20 years of pastoring, I've watched a lot of facade in people's lives. I've watched a lot of facade. I've watched a lot of people. And, you know, you might have been able to just kind of get me going with you in the first couple of years of ministry. Because I used to think that if you said amen to loudest, you were really on fire with God. I found that the people who say amen the loudest are some of the, well, I won't say what I'm thinking right now. So Ananias and Sapphira didn't realize the reality of God. You have to realize the reality of God. And, you know, it's not if, if I haven't missed it or you haven't missed it, but when you miss it, God is looking for you to turn really quickly back to, and there is, Every belief in me that Ananias and Sapphira were quickened by the Spirit of God before they ever got to the church. They just wouldn't take heed. This is why it's so important for me, and I, I wish that all of you would come to Bible study. We're going through the book of Corinth, and I think you'll find some, some amazing things with us in this book of Corinth of why these people who had the Spirit and had gifting were not spiritual people. And a lot of times people like the fact that they have a gifting in their life, but your gifting doesn't mean that you're spiritual. You can have giftings. You can actually have giftings of the Lord, and the giftings of the Lord and the callings of God are without repentance. He won't take them back from you. But there are times where you might not be using your giftings for his glory. It is for yours. It is to aggrandize yourself. It is to make people see you, to make people uh, uh, see you as a, a great person. And God began to deal with his disciples as he was looking and even looking at the priest of that day. And he said, you got your reward because you got all the attaboys and the pats on the back. And that's really what you were looking for. 
But if you're looking for Jesus and it's all about Jesus, the Bible says every day you're dying to yourself. Matter of fact, your right hand it doesn't even know what the left hand is doing because you're not doing it to be seen. You're not doing it to be heard. You're not doing it to be known of men. You're doing what you do so that Jesus can be glorified, so that Jesus can be magnified. Come on. Somebody says, I want to do all that I do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do all that you do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't do it for your glory. And if you discover that people are magnifying you, stop it. I mean, you, you, oh, you're such a great singer. Oh, you're such a great preacher. Oh, you're such a great this, a great that. Stop that. I serve a great God, and he is greatly to be praised. There, apart from him, I could do nothing. In him, I live. In him, I'm moving. In him, I'm having my being. Everything has to be about Jesus. It all begins with Jesus. It all should end with Jesus. And everything about our lives should be focused on Jesus. And then we get to this portion in chapter 6. And I'll start reading in verse 5. But verses 9 through 15 is where we're going to focus in in the time that we have. In verse 5 it says, and when you pray. Everybody say, when you pray. When you pray. Do you notice that it didn't start off saying, if you pray? He's showing you that prayer is a necessary part of your life. That it should be a when I pray, not if I pray. Not if I feel like it. I, I, I appreciated Yvette's uh, uh, testimony about, you know, she got up this morning and feelings tried to get in. Feelings is not what God is asking you to operate on. God is asking you to operate by the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when you have a prayer life, you're going to find that God is going to be every day ordering your steps and helping to get your conversation to right, helping you to cast down every imagination that exalts itself against what you know that God wants you to do. So he says, when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are. He says, they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. In other words, everybody say they do it for show. When you pray, you're not doing it for show. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. Meaning, folks, there is no reward for you in heaven if you think that all of your acknowledgement or all of, as it were, praise is going to come to you here on this earth. And, and if that's what is your driving factor, you've got to get the accolades of men, you will never finish your course. Because there are going to be days where you will not get the accolades, you will actually get the criticism. And this is where you begin to realize whether you are rooted and grounded in Christ when criticism comes. Look, do you know that Jesus wasn't getting accolades and praise as he began to talk about what his father wanted him to do? And people didn't understand what God had called him to do here on the earth. And they were challenging him. And even some of the people who said that they were his closest followers began in the last days to do what? Challenge Jesus. Peter is challenging him. You can't wash my feet. Come on, Peter. What are you talking about? Peter, you, you, you don't quite, you are not quite converted yet. 
You understand when Jesus said, Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And Peter is looking at him and saying, you know what? I am your closest and I have been most your, your, your most loyal supporter. What do you mean I'm not converted? But he wasn't. He was going to run. He was going to deny. He was going to sit by a fire, warm his hands. It's interesting. I always like the fact that when Jesus came back to Peter, he came back to him with familiar things. You remember Jesus is now on the beach with a charcoal fire and making breakfast with Peter. And I'm sure Peter could not but help think about on the night that I betrayed him, I smelled a charcoal fire and I was denying him. But see, Jesus loves you no matter where and what you've done. I mean, you know, the Bible says no matter how low you go, who's there? No matter how high you go, who's there? Jesus is always there. This is why the Bible says he will never leave you, never forsake you. Get that settled that God loves you. That God loves you. Stop doubting that for a moment. Stop listening to so many voices around you that might be uh, very critical of you and just know God loves me. Come on, say it. God loves me. God loves me. Right. Sometimes some of the simple songs that were written, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do I know that? Because the Bible says so. What's going to pass away? Everything. But what the Bible says. It's never going to pass away. So if it's written in the Bible that God's loved you, guess what happens tomorrow? No matter what you did that you thought was so bad or others thought was so bad, God loves you. Amen. And all he's looking for you to do is to return to him. Return to your first love. Let's go down to verse number nine. Put the, the, those scriptures up on the Bible for me. I shared with you as I began to try to teach this lesson, I pulled a lesson back that was um, done by a, a, a man of God by the name of Larry Lee. And his last name is spelled L-E-A. I would encourage you, go out and look at, uh, uh, just Google him, and, and Google specifically an outline for prayer. Larry Lee, that last name is spelled L-E-A, and then Google outline for prayer. You're going to find a PDF that you can download, and it's a real great outline for helping us to learn how to effectively. I, I, I realize more and more that, Yes, people come to God, and they come to church, and we say things to them like study the Word, but I realize most people don't know how to study the Word. We say to them pray, but I'm, 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 I'm more and more aware that people don't know how to pray. Their intentions are good. How many of you ever had your, your child, how many of you, when you, you can remember in your childhood, how you kind of perceive what driving would be like? And if your parents or grandparents ever set you up under the wheel when you were a little kid, what did you do? You grabbed the steering wheel probably with both hands. And I'm telling you, if you were driving like that today, as a matter of fact, you wouldn't be driving. You'd be in the hospital or in the grave because you realize that you just were like this. And how many of you realize that it's really smooth to drive? There's not a whole lot of turning and jerking and movement it really is a pretty hold it steady and, and and prayer is like that learning how to get steady 
You're not praying a mist anymore. You're not all out here in left field with words and things that you're asking. You're not asking God a mist anymore because you know God now. And as you'll notice in verse 9, everybody read the first three words. What does it say? Did it ever say pray this prayer? We begin to call it the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord was trying to show us from the very beginning, this is an outline in this manner. And then he began to say, therefore, pray. Here's the first demarcation. Our Father. Our Father. Just start right there and begin to acknowledge, this is my heavenly Father. You know, every time that... You see the cross. It ought to remind you when you say, our Father, that you can picture Calvary and thank God that you can call him Abba, Father. Our Father. And then it goes on, and the next demarcation shares with us, our Father in heaven, hallowed would be thy name. Hallowed. Ushers, if I can get two ushers, maybe three ushers. Help me. There are many compound names of God, and you ought to know them. Old Testament, New Testament talks about these compound names of God. I'm giving you an outline this morning that has 18 compound names of God. The interesting thing, though, is when you get to the New Testament, there is only one compound name for God, and it's Jesus. But in the Old Testament, it began to help us to see the Father. And the Father was often, and, and, and rightfully so, called Jehovah. But then you would see that it would take you further and further through who our God is and what our God is to us. And so when we get to this point of recognizing the cross and Calvary and what he's done, we began to be thankful. We began to not just go in talking about, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. You start saying, Father, I thank you for what you've already done, who you already are to me. See, when you really know God as Jehovah Jireh, your provider, you realize that all of your needs are already met according to who? Christ Jesus. All of your needs are already met. And your God is going to supply them. We just need to be steadfast and giving thanks to God for who he is. And so you notice in your outline, and I know that they're still passing out some, I, I start with a name, Jehovah Elohim, which you can find in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, and it just tells you he's my creator. How many of you know that the Lord is your creator? Most of us, uh, most of the world or practically the vast majority of the world just see life from the fact that you came from a birth canal. But God wants you to see life that is the birth canal. There was something before the birth canal. There was God. This is why it attaches you back to Jeremiah and it's helped you to see, you know, God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. That everything that was created was created by God and everything that was created was created for God. Say this, I was created for God. And so when you are entering into prayer, you remember how the Bible says, enter into his gates with what? 
And into his courts with what? See, a lot of times we just enter in. How many of you tried to teach your children sometimes when they would come home from school and they would just come in talking about what you got to eat? Or mama, give me this. Or daddy, give me this. Or I got to do this and I got to do that. How, how many would just love for your children to just come up and say, I just thank you. And, and it be done more than just on Mother's Day and Father's Day. And now I know that they're trying to promote Grandparents' Day. But you will want your children to truly be what? Appreciative of who you are. Oftentimes, you can, you can understand it on a natural level. Your children don't know what you go through to provide for them. When, when Come on, all of us, we're probably too old or we weren't cognizant enough to remember when we couldn't do anything for ourselves. And who was there? Your parents. How many of you remember when you would fall down and just be screaming and hollering? It was probably mama or daddy that would pick you up and love you back to the place of that. It is going to be all right. And God wants you to know that when you kind of look, start looking at life and thinking that life is so jacked up and how am I ever going to? He wants you to be reminded, this is who I am to you. And if you will put yourself in remembrance of it every day when you enter into a, a lifestyle of prayer, you'll enter in just kind of giving God that, that acknowledgement. God, this is who you are. Now, the devil has been trying to speak. How many of you know the Bible said, my sheep know what? My voice and the voice of a stranger, they won't follow. So there's always going to be a voice trying to tell you that you're going to fail. I shared this, I believe, with one group um, in a Bible study. Uh, a friend in ministry, his name is Clyde Oliver. Some of you met uh, Pastor Clyde Oliver down in Melbourne, Florida. And Clyde came in one day in a meeting that he and I were uh, uh, co-preaching in. And Clyde had on, I don't know if they were Polaroids or not, but they were some dark sunglasses. And he just came up there bebopping. And Clyde's not a small guy. And he just came up there just bebopping, stepped up in the pulpit, and just started preaching with dark sunglasses on. And then it was for purpose, but after a while he said, some of you can't even hear what I'm saying because you're looking at my sunglasses. He said, I'm going to tell you why I'm wearing my sunglasses. He says, because my future is so bright, I got to wear sunglasses. My future is just that bright. And so I went and bought me a pair of sunglasses that day because I said, he's the same. That's, that, that's true. My future is so bright. Come on, say, my future is bright. Come on, shout it. My future is bright. See, the devil is always going to try to tell you your future is dark, that a dark day is coming, that a failing day. See, God has a plan for you, and failure is not a part of it. God says you're blessed when you come in. You're blessed when you go out. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed in the field. Whatever you put your hands to is blessed. And he's telling you, I'm the one who blesses you. And so now you're reminding yourself, who is my father? Who is my father? And you know what? I'm going to hallow his name. So if you, if those of you who had a really good relationship with your father, I have a great relationship with my father. And I was just so, I, I had to call him on Tuesday. I was just so proud of him. Because he got up on Tuesday and he told my sister, take me to the poll. I got to vote. And my sister said, you know, my dad hadn't been out of the house for almost a week. 
weak, in bed, just from a bed to a chair and a bed to a chair. But that morning he got up and said, take me to the poll. He went to the poll. He voted. I know some of the sacrifices my father made for us. And I came from a large family, two brothers, seven sisters. And we never lacked for anything. We didn't. I know I see parents who say, I got two kids, Pastor, you don't know how hard it is. You know, just come live in our shoes. We, we were like the, 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 the people who lived in the shoe, had so many children. But my parents knew what to do, though. They knew to go to God. They knew, that they knew who would provide the bread. You know, I was watching T.D. Jakes one day. He was preaching, and, and I laughed. I just laughed. I started laughing because he was talking about things that I could identify. And he was talking about sometimes, you know, you get in the kitchen with your grandmama or your mama, and it wasn't nothing that seemed like that was in the kitchen. But they have, and my mother was like that. She always wore her apron when she cooked. And said so they get that apron, and they just get that old apron, and she, they, they get a bowl, and they get the whipping something up in that bowl. And all of a sudden, multitudes of people have eaten. Do you know that God can whip something up for you? Do you remember the day when that, all these people were out there uh, sitting down listening to him preaching to And he was passionate and compassionate about them. And he realized they're hungry. And you know what his disciples said? And we don't want to be those kind of disciples with that kind of attitude. Remember what the disciples said? Send them away. How many of you have ever been walking through your Christian life and you just want to send some people away? Come on, don't let me be raising my hand by myself. <laughs> Send them away, God. But God is saying, nope, freedom. You remember what he told his disciples, freedom. This is why when I read that and I, I, allow, I, I, I ask God, let me get into that scene, God, so I can see that. All these people, I mean, just imagine thousands of people. The Bible talks about 5,000 men, not including women and children. Wow, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Send them away. And God said, no. Sit them down. Get them organized. And feed them. Well, we don't have any food. We got just enough for us, Jesus. Well, go out and see what you can find. I don't believe the intentionality was strong in going to find food. You got any food in your purse? You don't? You got some chewing gum? You got water? That's food. Uh, you, got, you got soup. You know, I could find a meal up in here this morning. And I'm not playing, let's make a deal. But I can find a meal up in here. And you know what? I believe they brought it back with a kind of a mindset, Jesus, now will you send them away? Because look what we've discovered. And don't, don't get the loaf of bread all, all, all twisted. Come on. How many fish? Somebody say five fish, two fish. What was it? How many fish? Two fish, five loaves. And I know you, you, you got colonial and sunbeam and all of them loaves of bread up in your head. Isn't it? We're not talking about that. It doesn't look like that. That's not what a loaf of bread looks like back in that day. You might, everybody say silver pancake. You know what a silver pancake looked like? About like that, a little, little, little dollar piece. It's not a large piece of bread. 
It's, you know, when you double up these two little pancakes and put the two little fish in there, and then you have just one extra. But this little boy, and I love the fact that I believe that's one of the people that I want to meet when I get to heaven is that little boy who gave up his lunch in obedience for the call of God. Because that was a little boy's lunch. But it fed 5,000. See, God is not limited in being able to meet your need. But you've got to, in a sense, you've got to bring something to God. And, and you, if you'll just bring yourself to God, if you'll just surrender and say, I don't know what to do. I don't even know how it's going to work out. But I know that I know that there is a God who loves me and he's going to work it out. Amen? And so you just begin to hallow his name. And when you take time, folks, in your prayer to truly give thanks to God for who he is, you are not ever going to wonder how long did that, that you could pray for an hour. I, I was one of those people that, you know, pray for an hour, that seems silly. That's a long time. And when I tried to pray, and I prayed, I would be looking at the clock with one eye and still trying to pray everything that I thought I could pray and knew to pray. And, the, the, you know, it's almost like Rodney jumped up there and grabbed the clock and held the hands. And two minutes later... Like, that's all I got, God. And now, it's just like preaching. I'm looking at this clock and saying, my, how time is just running past. When you begin to truly start focusing on God and stop focusing in so much on yourself. See, most people think that approaching prayer is approaching God about just yourself. No, it's really approaching God about God who you are. You literally are learning in prayer how to decrease so that God might what? Increase. You're less and less in prone to be able to now say, I can't do that. You are now going to come out with a sense of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Because look who's with me. And if God be for me. Come on. When you look at that list of names that you have and just look at the benefits of who God is. Who could be against you? It was like me one, one time, and my, my, my older brother was always a, a little bit larger than me. And there was a guy, and I don't know why he didn't like me. But he didn't like me. I never said anything to him. I never did anything to him. And he didn't like me. Anybody ever went to school and there was just somebody that just didn't like you? You didn't know them. You didn't know their mama. You didn't even know where they live. But you get to school, and they look at you and say, I don't like you. What'd I do? And then these were the kind of people that would be like Medea. I'll see you at the bus stop at 3 o'clock. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to be waiting for me at 3 o'clock? Yeah, y'all can laugh at me because I did tell the teacher, I said, can I clean the, 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 the board? Can I put the, the chalk erasers and clean them? I was trying to get to 3.30 because at 3 o'clock he should be gone. And he got out there, didn't see me, he should be gone, Rodney. But you know what? 3.30 came and he was still out there. What's wrong with this boy? And at the very time, the first time, and this wasn't just one time, this was several times, but the first time, I will never forget it, my older brother showed up. And he just turned around and walked away. 
How many of you think when God shows up on that the devil realizes that God's with you? That you've been in the presence of God and the devil said, I was going to attack them today, but you know what? <laughs> I'll wait tomorrow and see if they're going to still be with him. And that's why every day you want to be with God. Every day you want to be in the presence of God. Say, nah, you don't want to be foolish like me. Yeah, I, I, my brother wasn't with me the next day. But I, I, I'll tell you the end of the story. I did get in a fight. That's the only fight that I've ever gotten in while I was in school. Rodney, don't fight with your eyes closed. I did. <laughs> I was just wailing, but my eyes were closed. I landed a punch, though, and his nose started bleeding, and then he started wailing. I believe it was God that probably landed the punch and helped me out that day because it wasn't me. I closed my eyes. Mr. Art, don't ever try to fight with your eyes closed, man. But that's how God is. And sometimes when our eyes are closed and we don't even know what we're doing, God's there battling on our behalf. But God is not going to be knocking people out. He's going to be knocking the devil out. Because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. And I don't want you to get that mindset that when you go to work tomorrow, that person that you didn't like, you're just going to close your eyes and start punching at them. No. <laughs> you're going to be on the 6 o'clock news, and I'm going to say, Miss Pat, come here, look. There's one of our members up on the 6 o'clock news. <laughs> don't let that happen to you. So you see him saying, what you're doing when you hallow the name of the Lord, you're beginning to see that you have benefits. You have benefits. How many of you, and some of you I know are, have already reached retirement or even really living in the phase of retirement now, but you realize that when you were getting ready to, to, to as it were, uh, put in your retirement or, or take your retirement privileges, uh, they took you through your benefits, how many of you have an insurance policy? Raise your hand real high. You got an insurance policy, some level of insurance policy. I'm seeing far too many hands not up, though. I'm going to say to you, Ms. Bedita Hampton, look at all these people with their hands not up. You, every one of you, I'm, just, I'm taking a sidebar here. Every one of you needs some type of policy. And you probably are trying to say, I don't have enough money. You'd be surprised when you get knowledge of what you can do, what you think you can't do. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can, but you've got to get knowledge, though. Now, I, I talked to Ms. Benita earlier a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, and I said, we probably need to do a refresher in finances just before uh, this Christmas, and I believe right before Thanksgiving, guys, because uh, the world, they, they talk, I, I saw last night, uh, they're already rolling out the so-called specials to you at Walmart and Amazon. They're not waiting for Black Friday anymore. I don't know what they're calling this blue lead up to Friday, Black Friday or what. But they are trying to get you to start spending now. They are already estimating that Americans, just not, not any other country, Americans will spend millions of dollars. They are estimating that each one of you will spend $1,500. And some of you are going to try to spend $1,500 that you don't have. And you might want to get refreshed in some things to show where you can, even in this month, start saving rather than going broke. Amen? So when we announce that, I want you all to come. It's just going to probably be a Saturday, and we just refresh ourselves together. 
Let's eat lunch together and let's get refreshed and let's get sharp, let's get smart, and let's stay at a place where God can use the resources that he's giving us for us to help take the gospel of Jesus Christ as far and as fast as possible and not let Sam Walmart or Sam Walmart's daughters, I think, now have all of these assets take you to the poorhouse. Amen. And some of you are looking at me and saying, I'm already in the poorhouse. Well, let's learn how to get out of it. Amen. Let's learn how to get out of it because you can get out of it. And every one of us ought to have some type of things that give us certain benefits in the event of certain um, things happening in life. That's just practical things that God wants you to be able to do. Amen. So in that verse, it says, in this manner, wasn't saying to us to pray exactly this as a prayer. He's just giving us a, a, an opportunity to see how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So when you begin to praise God for who he is and what he has done for us, you begin to hallow the name of God and all of the corresponding benefits that the Lord has blessed you with in your prayer time with him and in faith. You begin to declare that God is your provision in all of these areas. He's your provision as, as, as your righteousness, as your sanctification, as your healer. God is your provision. You're forgiven of sins. You're full of the Spirit of God. There's soundness in your life. You have health and healing by stripes. You're totally and completely healed. There's success in you. God does want you to have success. And that's why he says, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I am the Lord who will provide. Just like I provided with Abraham on that mountain, I will provide for you in the lifetime and in the situations that you're in. God is your security. He is not giving you a spirit of what? Fear, but power, love, and what? A sound mind. You don't fear death because you know you're going to go from what? Life to life. You don't fear hell because you know what? You have been redeemed. And what you're trying to do every day of your life is just to help somebody who doesn't know that they're going to hell. How many of you realize that at a point in your life you didn't realize you were going to hell? I certainly was living like I wasn't going to hell. I wasn't living for Jesus. And it's not about your good works that you do. It's not about your own self-assessment of how good you are. Apart from Jesus, no man can see God. No woman can see God. No child can see God. And so God reminds us that once you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to fear. The devil might say, well, you're going to hell. No, I'm not. Heaven is my home. Heaven is my home. Amen? And here's the next portion of that. You take me to the next verse in verse number 10. Here's the next demarcation. You notice that if you start with our Father, I guarantee you you're going to be in prayer for about at least five to ten minutes. When you start saying, Lord, I, I, hallowed be your name and start thanking God for who he is in your life, you're going to be in prayer for about 20 minutes. Because um, what you're doing is kind of what your grandparents probably said to you at some point in your life. Count your blessings. 
It's kind of what we were trying to uh, communicate through a film that we showed on last Wednesday night. <coughs> you may think that everything has been stripped away. I believe at one point, Dr. Parson, I looked straight at you. At one point, you stood in this pulpit and you talked about things that, you know, at one point you were living like this. And certain things just started to be... They were no more, and they were no more. And, and she came up, and she had all these little attachments and weights all around her. And God was showing her, uh, um, I'm just stripping you of some of the weights. She talked about the fact that she even looked to people that she considered close friends and how she thought because of the close friendship, they will respond. But at the point in time when you needed to help the most, it's not sometimes because they don't love you. Sometimes they can't help you. How many of you went to your mama sometime and your mama just couldn't help you? And you got to go to where? Jesus. Now, I don't d d deny that there are some people who could help you that won't help you. But you will never find that kind of attitude in God. When you go to God and you need help, the Lord will help you. The Lord will supply that need. Now, I want to go back. He will supply that need. Because sometimes what we're asking God for, we don't need. I laughed, and I was sitting across the table at lunch, and we had a luncheon with my family. We had a nephew this week who got promoted, and we were all together, and we enjoyed it. We were on Capitol Hill. He's a Capitol Hill police, and he was getting promoted, and we had a large ceremony on his behalf, and, and we were wanting to carry that over from Friday into Saturday, and we had lunch together, and I was looking at, across at my sister, and I remember at a time in her life where uh, her boys, they, they wouldn't eat anything that she would cook. And, you know, they knew that you know, all they had to do is whine a little bit. And you know where kids' favorite place was at that time, right? McDonald's. And she would have labored and did all of that. But if they would cry loud enough, all that stuff would just be sitting and they would go to McDonald's. We laugh at them now because we said, I, we believe McDonald's affected them. Because I have a nephew about my height, but his shoe size is almost double my size. All them hormones that he had, I believe, from McDonald's affected his foot. And we, uh, I shouldn't talk about him so bad. But we tell him he don't have shoes, he has boots. But see, God's going to give you what you need. Not all the time what you want. I think people, it's a misnomer when you hear the scripture, God will give you the desires of your heart, not if it's going to hurt you, not if it's going to cause you to be a fool. Even some of you who went and played the lottery, I told you not to, but you did anyway. You didn't need it. You, were going, you, you would have become a fool with that money. God will supply all of your needs. God will put you in situations where it's going to help you to mature and prosper and be kingdom-minded, not where you become a fool. How many of you remember when you got your first car and became a fool? Some of you did. Or you were at one of those places where you needed God, and you said, God, if you get me out of this, if you get me out of this, and you kind of felt like God got you out of this, and you said, if you get me out of this, I will, and then... A week later, you can even remember the name of God. 
You're back to your old ways. It, it, it has to be a reality for you when you are with God and you're working through God with the things of God. And so your kingdom come. What does that mean? What are you praying when you're saying, God, your kingdom come? I believe that you want, we were taught, I think Mauro Gigenti was here was last, and he was teaching on the kingdom of God. Go back and listen to that tape. Mauro Gigenti, when he was here with us, just recently preaching on the kingdom of God. And specifically, he talked from the scripture, the kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. And so when you want the kingdom of God to come in your life, your kingdom come, you're wanting righteousness, you're wanting peace, and you're wanting what? Joy in the Holy Ghost. And you should want that for yourself. You should want that for your family. You should want that for your spouse. You should want that for your church. You should want that for your nation. How many of you know we could use some righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost in our nation right now? But it comes as God's people begin to understand these are things that God has given us the opportunity and asking us, would you pray about those kinds of things? God tells us also to pray for what? The peace of Jerusalem. I know that our news agencies don't report heavily on what's happening in other nations, but folks, if we were well informed, if we were really using our devices for some of the things that we could be aware of, you would find that there is turmoil in just about every nation right now. And there's turmoil in, in Israel right now. And, 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 and yet, I think even what happened last week in Pittsburgh is a sign of why, why God wants you to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, it, it's, it's sickening, and I'm not saying that the Jewish people in Israel do everything right. I don't ever want you to get that impression when pastors talk, talked about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I don't believe that everything that the Israelis do toward Palestinians is godly or right. But you're going to have to pray that they will know Jesus so that they would do what Jesus would do, not in what they think they ought to do. Yeah, God began to deal with my heart very strongly. A lot of people have been asking me, when we're going back to Israel, I said, when Jesus tells me to go back. Because what Jesus told me to do, don't go back unless you go back to preach. Don't go back. Don't just go to take a group of people to tour and all of you are, we're just touring, and even touring sometimes with people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, taking you all to the Jesus Christ sites. But it's all about money for them. It's not all about Jesus. And God says, take Jesus. Every time I take you somewhere, you take Jesus. Now, we've had some level of success. We've been very successful with our tour guide. Uh, we've stayed in very close contact with uh, Israel. And have prayed with him, prayed over him, prayed for his family. He's called out to us on many occasions. I believe his father, who was named Monty, really did find Jesus because he was with us on a day when we had a sure Holy Ghost move of God happen up in the upper room. Things got to shaking and Marty got to shaking because this was a real God experience that we were having. And we got to talk about Jesus to him. But the last time I went, I went to five different churches. We got to preach Jesus. And God told me, now don't you come back over here. Don't even bring people back over here just for the sake of touring. Come for the sake of preaching. Because people need to know Jesus. But we still need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're talking about what? God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Here on where? 
the earth just like it is in heaven. And so God is saying he's given you and I the ability as his followers, as believers, as born-again believers, to actually help affect change with our families. I pray for my family. I pray that you are praying for your family. If you, how many of you have got unsaved family members? Raise your hand if there are family members that are unsaved in your family. Then we need to be praying daily for our family members. If you've got sons or daughters, grandchildren that don't know Jesus, what do you think will happen to them if Jesus comes back? I know it's not the desire of your heart for any of your family members to end up in hell, but what do you think will happen if Jesus comes back and they don't know Jesus? So prayer has to be something that becomes urgent for you. God is not looking for you to just continue to go to family reunions and, and, and turkey dinners and Christmas celebration and your family remains outside of the will of God. Your family needs, and, 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 and your prayer, the prayer, your prayer will avail much toward that. It may not be you that speaks to them when they receive Christ, but it's because you have been speaking over them in your prayers. It might be somebody down the street. It might be somebody at their school. It might be somebody in the neighborhood that speaks to them and they receive Christ and they come back and they tell you, guess what, mom? Guess what, dad? Guess what, grandma? Guess... But you know that you've been laboring over that. You've been praying over them. You know, when my younger brother was not saved, God had to do something in my heart because I was mad with him. I was thinking, you know, you're in and out of jail, you're in and out of jail, you're in and out of drugs, you're in and out of drugs, and I'm just tired of it. You've borrowed and you've literally stole, and I'm tired, and so go do what you have to do. And God says, you're not doing what you have to do. Folks, it's, it's important for you to allow God to speak to your heart when you think you're on the track and you're not. And prayer will get you to a place where God can turn the tides in a sense from you thinking that you got it all that in a bag of chips and show you, you, you you're, you're off. You're actually being a bit hypocritical right now. What would you have wanted if your life was a mess like that? What would you want to have happen for you? And this is why the pray without ceasing is so significant for the people of God. Pray without ceasing. So when a sister like Ursula says, you know, we're trying to pray around the clock. We're not trying to pull the okie doke on you. We're trying to tell you this is real. And that your prayers will avail much. We're trying to tell you that if you have not even paid attention, it's become so in the background for you that you don't even see it when you come in. Then read what's up on that wall one more time. And say, God, give me Rhema on this scripture. Because I believe. I believe. But how long, God? Perhaps that's our biggest struggle. How long? 
That probably was my biggest struggle with my younger brother. How long, God, it's going to take? But God, remind me, don't grow weary in well-doing. Son, you will reap. You will see your brother come to the Lord. I was calling my sister the other day. Her birthday was that day. And she said, you're the last one to call me. She said, but I knew you would. And I said, I prayed for you today. She said, I know you did. And she said, but I knew it would be in this order. And that's, that's, that was just kind of, I don't know, it was soothing to me the way she, she talked to me and that she knew who would call her in what order. And she said to me, call your younger brother because he just called. And folks, it's good to be able to talk with your family members and talk Jesus now. To let them know what God's showing you in your heart. To let them know even some things that are prophetically being spoken over their lives. And God will speak to you about your family. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Here. Here. Right here on earth. If you go through the rest of that, if you go ahead and pull that outline that I ask you to go ahead and Google concerning Larry Lee, LEA, PDF, outline of prayer, you'll get everything that I want to articulate to you, and I think you'll understand it fully. You'll probably even find some videos of him teaching this wonderful thing. I'll tell you a little bit about this. Larry Lee was in a low place in his life when God began to give him revelation on prayer. He had had levels of great success. He was a head of the Board of Regents at Oral Roberts University. And he had something that the world calls a mental breakdown. And they put him in a psych ward. Said he was severely depressed. And sitting in that room, God came and begin to talk to him. See, sometimes, folks, you can just be in going through what we call religious motions and still don't know God. I'm asking you, do you really know God this morning? Because if you know God, you're going to want to talk to God every day of your life, and that's what we call prayer. And while he was in that room, people saying he's crazy or he's mentally uh, distraught, he said God showed up and began to show him Larry, you don't really even know how to talk to me yet. And I want to talk to you. God would take him out of that facility and into uh, resigning from there. And you know that if he didn't resign, they probably was going to do whatever they needed to do to remove him. And he went out to a little small city in, in Texas called Rockwell, Texas. You'll find that the population in Rockwell, Texas was less than or just slightly over a thousand people. I think it was 1,200. Don't quote me on the exact number. But the church grew. He started a church there and people started to come and he started to teach just what God told him to teach. Teach on prayer, Larry. Teach on prayer. I've taught you how to pray. I've taught you how to connect with me. And I just want you to teach people how to connect with me. And he began to start just teaching on prayer. And the church grew. Matter of fact, the church grew to 5,000 people. Again, you remember what I just said? The population was what? 1,200? A little less than 1,200 people? And the church grew to 5,000. You understand what that dynamic means? 
that people from outside of the city started to come because he was preaching on something that he'd gotten. This is why it's important to me and my life is based like this now. I don't want to preach on anything, teach on anything, try to share anything unless the Holy Spirit has shown me that this is what you do, son. This is why sometimes people bring me a lot of ideas, bring me a lot of talking papers, and they say, well, pastor just sits on it. I am sitting on it because I'm waiting to hear Jesus. It just can't come from your voice. It's got to come from the voice of God. And Larry got something from the voice of God, and he started to preach it. See, most people wouldn't have never given him another chance. Crazy man, right? Why would I come to his church and listen to him? He was in the psych ward. See, God can take you out of the psych ward. God can take you out of any kind of lifestyle, any kind of circumstances, and use you. Look, come on. Where did he take Moses from? Moses was up in the upper house. Then Moses became a murderer. Come on, anybody been reading your Bible? Moses ran, and he was on the backside of the desert, the Bible tells me, for 40 years. And one day God started calling Moses, come here. Moses, I don't think, wanted to turn aside and see it. He said, it's just a bush burning, so, but you know what, the, I love how the scripture describes it. It says, one day he said, I will turn aside and see this thing. I pray this morning that you're going to turn aside and see this thing. I believe that there's a fire that's burning right now in the midst of this church. But you're going to have to turn aside and see this thing. And see what God is doing and get with God's program. Because Moses had become very complacent and probably very content just tending the sheep on the backside of the desert. And God says, I got some real sheep for you, son. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I believe for many of us, God's got a word for us. God's got some anointing for us that when weeks go and speak over an area, every place that your foot treads, God's going to give it to you. And Moses didn't go in the strength of his might. He went in the strength of God. Whatever God told him to tell Pharaoh, that's all that he told him. And he said, watch God work. Whatever he told Pharaoh or told Moses to tell the people, that's all that Moses told the people. Some people probably looked at Moses and said, who does he think he is? Moses was just a servant of God. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment here. I want you to become a child of God if you're not. If you're already a child of God, I want you to become a person of prayer. And some of us are not. We talk about prayer. We sing about prayer. But we don't pray. We give God that little one minute and said, you know, God's satisfied with this because he knows my heart. Yes, he does. And probably your heart is far from him. I want to draw near to God. And God says this way. He says, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. But you've got to be willing to draw near to God. For some of you, it's a rededication. I just sensed this word just came up into me real quick. And it's a rededication of your life. You've, you've, you've slacked off about prayer. You, you got caught up on styles and you got caught up on whatever it was, but you slacked off concerning prayer. And God wants you to get it ratcheted back up again and become a person of prayer. And for some of you, 
It's a reacquaintance with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ whom you've drawn quite distance from. But I want you to know he has never been distant from you. He is near you. And he loves you. His heart for you is that you might live above and not beneath. That your realization of who God is is that he came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org. 